the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's a fact. If the riches of the wealthy were suddenly given to the average American, the rich would have most of their wealth back in no time at all. Not because they're more deserved, but because they do a great job of getting us to spend it back to them. And once in their hands, they work it to their self-interest. The host of Get Rich Slow, Jim McAleese, believes the financial decisions you make today will guide your financial destiny tomorrow. Jim teaches you to plan for the worst and then hope for the best. America is under no obligation to provide what you need. Entitlements are out. Opportunity is today's watchword. Money matters can be intimidating, but they don't have to be. So start or supercharge your wealth-building plan now with Jim McAleese. Welcome to Get Rich Flow. This is your money school for financial winners. Here, we explore strategies to help you prosper. We look at the big picture and then develop plans, plans to help guide our families to meet their financial goals. Get Rich Flow gives you solid financial strategies, strategies that will help improve your financial life. If you want the truth, not the hype, please join us for the next hour for Get Rich Flow. I'm Jim McAleese. Certified Financial Planner and President of Cornerstone Consultants Incorporated. We are securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group Incorporated, which is a member of FINRA and Civic. Cornerstone Consultants is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group. Well, good morning. It's truly a wonder what a little sunshine and warm weather will do. Suddenly the flowers are blooming. The grass needs mowing. It's just a good time to wander around in the garden, maybe between the showers. (laughs) And the tulips are blooming, and the forsythia bushes are showing some color. In the springtime, everything starts to grow again. The geese are on the pond, and they'll have their babies soon, and (laughs) we'll see them marching across the lawn. You know, typically when they, you know, they... I don't know who's in the front, but the goose and the gander, one of them leads and the other one, uh, there's the babies in between and then the other one is following. They go in a straight line and uh, the little guys move just as fast as the, uh, as the parents do, particularly uh, when something happens and the parents pick up the hate, then everybody really gets moving. And, uh, you know, what you're seeing right now is the flowering crabs and the cherry trees. They're in full bloom, presenting a magnificent display. A large apple tree in bloom really cuts off the neighborhood. They're spectacular. I wish I had planted, planted mine a little farther apart, but 40 years ago, they were a lot smaller than they are today. I noticed in the wintertime I could see for miles, but now I'm being, with all the trees gleaming up and the leaves starting to appear, Soon I'll be able to see just as, just as far as the nearest tree. And, of course, the flowers provide a spectacular display. All of, all we have to do now is keep up with the maintenance, cutting the grass between the showers, spraying the trees and shrubs. You know, if they dry out long enough for us to spray them. And uh, a word to the wise, don't forget that next Sunday is Mother's Day. That's May 8th. We need to get the kids working on their gifts for mom. Uh, moms appreciate the flowers and the candies, but moms really appreciate the handmade gifts from the children. The grown-up uh, gifts will come and go, but the children's gifts will be 
treasured for years to come. You'll find them on mantles and on end tables years after the kids have had kids of their own. And in addition to our maintenance tours, let's find some time this weekend to check on our investments and on our financial plan. This week, global equity markets were mixed. In the U.S., the three major stock industries were down big time for the week, while in the U.K., the FTSE 100 was up, while the uh, in the Eurozone, uh, German, the, Germany's DAX and the stock Europe 600 were both up for the week. And uh, that's pretty unusual considering all the difficulties the uh, European Union is having with uh, uh, the situation with Russia and Ukraine and all the rest of the stuff over there. Asia was mixed. Uh, Japan and the uh, Japan's Nikkei 225 was down, but the Hang Seng, uh, the Hong Kong Hang Seng was up. And on Friday, the three major stock indices closed at uh, 32,977.21 for the Dow. Uh, the Standard and Poor 500 closed at 4,131.93. And an ASDAQ composite closed at uh, 12,334.64. And uh, the Standard & Poor uh, 500 was down uh, 3.27% for the week. So basically what you saw this week was volatility uh, increased significantly. Uh, this is a big week for the first quarter earnings. You know, I think there was over 100 companies reporting, but uh, you know the the usual there were the usual big ups and big downs. Amazon was the big down. Uh, I think they fell 14 percent uh, because this is the they showed some losses and these are the first losses that they've shown in something like seven or eight years. So, uh, but really, I don't think the uh, the volatility was caused by the ups and downs of the um, individual companies. Uh, a big concern was whether the Federal Reserve uh, can successfully slow the U.S. economy enough to bring down the highest inflation in 40 years. That's at uh, 8.5% that uh, the Consumer Price Index registered for March. And uh, how do you do that without initiating a uh, recession? Well, uh, very carefully. That's about. <laughs> you have to be very careful about this because, uh, you know, it's fairly complex and it gets more complex in the sense that inflation is growing around the globe. You know, the inflation in Germany is about uh, 7.8 percent, and uh, so there's a possibility that uh, as inflation grows, then the other uh, central banks were going to start to uh, tighten their monetary policy with uh, front-end loaded uh, interest rate increases. So uh, uh, this is basically adding more uncertainty to the continuing uh, invasion of the Ukraine by U Russia and the disruption of the uh, uh, global trade with the uh, lockdowns of the uh, major Chinese metropolitan areas due to this uh, Omicron uh, COVID. So, you know, it, it's, uh, it's basically one of those uh, volatile things where uh, the, the uh, Federal Reserve, and we'll see about the, see what happens next week when the Federal Reserve meets, I think, uh, May 3rd and 4th. They always meet on a Tuesday and Wednesday. So Tuesday and Wednesday of next week, they'll be meeting, and Wednesday they tell us what they've decided, and we pretty much know what they've decided in terms of uh, uh, a rate increase for uh, uh, the next meeting. At the May meeting, they're probably going to increase the rates, uh, the overnight rate, the federal funds rate, uh, which is now stands at uh, uh, 1%. Uh, and they're going to probably raise that a half a percent. So, and the reason for that is that uh, 
uh, Jerome Powell, who is the uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve, he kind of, uh, um, you know, he talked about that basically a week and a half ago. So I think it's a done deal. Uh, what they do beyond that in terms of telling us or uh, uh, indicating future increases, whether the future increases are going to be a quarter or half a percent, uh, that will be interesting, as, and uh, also what they're going to do with regard to their uh, uh, bond-selling operation, which, which they talked about at the last meeting, and they promised that they would um, make a better uh, definition of it uh, at this uh, May meeting. So uh, that's really the big concern. It's been a big concern ever since the start of the year in terms of uh, – how we're going to slow the economy down uh, enough to uh, start to bring inflation down. And uh, so you got, you're balancing two things. One is the uh, bringing inflation down because it's, uh, uh, it's cutting into people's uh, incomes. Everything's costing more. And at the same time, uh, you don't want to... Uh, uh, hurt the economy more than is necessary. So getting the inflation down and and uh, uh, slowing the economy down at the same time are going to be uh, the uh, objective. And how they do it, uh, we'll, we'll find out. Uh, we'll talk about that later in the show, too. Yeah, I mean, what we're seeing is that the, the consumer is spending. You know, in March, uh, the consumer spending increased 1.1% or $185 billion. And that shows that a uh, tight labor market and uh, uh, excess savings uh, accumulated during the pandemic, uh, you know, basically have helped America uh, spend despite the inflation eroding the uh, wage growth and driving up the cost of living. In fact, the consumer spending increased by uh, an increase of 1.1% uh, was greater than the increase in the consumer's income for March. And the increase in consumer's income was uh, uh, a half a percent. So that data was reported in by the U.S. Uh, Department of Commerce in their personal income and outlays report for March, and uh, that came out yesterday. And the numbers indicate that consumers still have uh, solid a- appetites and a wherewithal to uh, go out there and shop, uh, buying cars and, and uh, um, other goods, but mainly uh, now focusing on the service parts of the economy. And taking inflation into account, uh, purchases of goods and services uh, increased two-tenths of a percent in March from February, and uh, uh, some Americans are tapping their savings to offset the uh, price increases. The savings rate in March fell to 6.2%, and the consumers are basically changing their uh, spending patterns with the uh, new freedom from the COVID. And uh, basically, the uh, what we're seeing is consumers stepped up spending on services, like travel and dining, as well as uh, that's where the, that's where their money goes right now, and plus the usual gasoline and food. So uh, that's where we're seeing the increases in, in spending on durable goods uh, decline for the second month in a row. For example, the uh, Department of Commerce report uh, spending in March uh, for goods. Uh, increased 1.1%, but most of the increase was in non-durable goods. In other words, for durable goods, it went down 1%, but for non-durable goods, uh, like food and fuel, it went up 2.5%. So the services, uh, that's your dining in your hotels and your travel, uh, that went up 1.1% in March. And according to uh, Jamie Dimon, who's the... uh, uh, CEO of uh, J.P. Morgan Chase Company, 
quote the consumer as money. Uh, they paid down credit card debt, and uh, uh, the confidence is not high, but the fact is that they do have money, and they're spending their money. So that was said at an earnings call this month, and he expected that to continue into the second and third quarter. Though inflation and the war in Ukraine pose challenges to the economic outlook, you know, according to the Wall Street Journal article, uh, the consumer spending figures come amid mixed signals from the broader economy. The unemployment rate uh, is now at a low of 3.6 percent. That's what it was in March, and workers' wage uh, uh, wages grew, uh, but the U.S. gross domestic product. Uh, contracted at the 1.4% annual rate in the first quarter. And basically, uh, that was uh, that was a little bit of a surprise because people were estimating that it would expand by a little over 1%, but it contracted by 1.4%. And that was basically largely due to the uh, expansion of the trade deficit. In other words, we export a lot of uh, goods and services, but we also, the United States also imports a lot more goods uh, than uh, we export. Uh, And uh, that's your deficit. And uh, basically that shows up in your uh, gross domestic product numbers. If you've got too much exports, that shows up as a negative number. So that was basically the the basis of the surprise in the uh, uh, the gross domestic product. And also there was a slowing down of the uh, the inventory uh, that's been stocked by the companies. Uh, the, the fourth quarter uh, basically showed an increase in the, uh, the annual gross domestic product of something like uh, close to 6, 6%. I think it was over 6%. But uh, um, a lot of that was due to the buildup in uh, inventory. So, you know, the, the companies have realized that, hey, uh, the supply chains can't be depended upon uh, just just-in-time uh, uh, supply chains are, are not working anymore. And so they're building up their inventory. And, uh, hey, that's that's what we would do if we were running uh, Walmart or places like that. And uh, so analysts expect the uh, this weakness to be short-lived. And uh, uh, according to the economists surveyed by the Wall Street Journal earlier this month, they expect a growth of uh, 3% in the uh, second quarter that we're in right now. So the people are spending. Uh, they're uh, spending a little bit more than they're making, but... Uh, basically, what you're seeing is that the uh, COVID times, uh, the last two years, uh, people, uh, most people were working. Uh, they were collecting their paychecks. Um, the people that were unemployed were making over $52,000 a year uh, between the federal government benefits and the state benefits. Uh People didn't have to pay their mortgages. People didn't have to pay their student loans. They were getting uh, uh, checks from the government if they were below a certain uh, uh, income level. And uh, uh, they weren't going anywhere or doing anything in terms of restaurants and sporting events and uh, travel. So uh, it's built up approximately $2 trillion, according to the government. Right. <laughs> Most people will look and say, that's not in my case. But uh, the, the, according to the government, they've built up over $2.5 trillion more money on average in their uh, savings accounts than normal. So the people are out there and they're spending, and uh, uh, that'll go on until uh, they, uh, they notice that the uh, accounts, their, their uh, bank accounts are getting lower. And at that point, they'll become more normal again. Another thing in the report was the uh, uh, the uh, latest inflation data. And that shows that uh, these price increases are eating at the consumer's wage gains. And the uh, 
uh, you know, there's two commonly used measures of inflation. There's the personal consumption expenditure deflator, which is favored by the Federal Reserve, you know, to track inflation. And uh, the most common, uh, and the, the, the other one is the uh, consumer price index, which everybody is familiar with, and that's put out by the Department of Labor. So uh, the latest uh, personal consumption expenditure for March shows that uh, the uh, it increased the uh, the cost of living basically increased uh, six tenths of one percent in March from uh, uh, from February, and it increased six point one percent in March from March a year earlier. And if you take out food and fuel, uh, uh, oops, where am I here? No, um, I'm, I'm looking at the wrong one. Uh, the personal consumption expenditure for March, it increased by uh, nine cents of 1% uh, over the month of uh, March from uh, February, and it increased 6.6% uh, from March a year ago. Now, if you take a look at the core uh, personal consumption expenditure, then you're looking at uh, the uh, monthly increase uh, is three-tenths of 1% uh, versus nine-tenths of 1%, where you do include food and fuel. And the uh, 12-month level increased uh, 5.2% versus the uh, 6.6% where you're have the food and fuel included. So what you see in that monthly increase going from nine-tenths of 1% down to three-tenths of 1% just by eliminating food and fuel, that gives you a good feeling or a good idea of where the increases are. Of course, if you're you're like everybody else, you know that already because uh, the gasoline prices have gone up and the food prices have gone up too. I think the gasoline prices uh, uh, probably went up close to 50% last year, and the food prices went up 10%. So uh, what the Federal Reserve does is they like to key in on that core uh, personal consumption expenditure. For the, uh, uh, they take, well, like to take a look at that, and it's reasonable because, uh, you know, both food and fuel are a global uh, commodity. You know, they go up and down with the uh, global demand. And uh, basically, the Federal Reserve is not going to do anything that could control the price of food or fuel. Um, I remember years and years ago, well, probably in the late 70s, where, uh, you know, the, the uh, government controlled the export uh, markets for food. In other words, when when uh, the price of soybean, or corn, or things of that nature uh, go sky high, uh, the people out, uh, the farmers are ecstatic, but uh, the politicians step in and say, well, wait a second, uh, the prices are going up mostly because you're exporting uh, these things, so we're going to put an export ban on that. Now, they haven't I even turned, heard any talk about that, but... Uh, that's one of the re- that's one of the options in uh, controlling the, the price of food, but that's not an option for the Federal Reserve. That's an option for the federal government to do something like that. Now, if you compare the personal consumption expenditure, uh, the uh, twelve months figures, to the uh, consumer price index numbers, uh, they're they're vastly different. For instance, the, the consumer price index uh, numbers for March uh, uh, increased 1.2% in March from February and 8.5% from uh, March a year ago. And then if you uh, get rid of the food and fuel content, uh, they go down to three-tenths of a percent increase in in uh, uh, March from February and 6.5% increase from uh, March a year ago. So uh, 
the one that the Federal Reserve really keys in on is the core CPI and the core uh, personal consumption expenditure. And really, uh, they basically, uh, uh, the very fact that they're down three-tenths of a percent in March uh, uh, gives me some hope. You know, hope springs eternal. Gives me some hope that uh, they'll be able to get this inflation under control. Uh, that's just by getting the gas and the food under control. Uh, if you take a look and say, hey, what is leading this? Um, where did the inflation really pop up from a, uh, uh, where did it come on the radar screen? Uh, we take a look at the uh, core personal consumption expenditure. And uh, basically for all of 2020 during the COVID, the worst parts of the COVID, uh, it was bouncing around, uh, uh, you know, 1.1 to 1.6 percent uh, over that uh, for, tw- for a 12 month period. But now, if we get into 2021, then we start to see it go uh, January in 2021. The 12 month uh, uh, inflation number was 1.5. February was 1.6, and March was 1.9. And then in April, that's when it jumped. And that's when the Federal Reserve should have moved, but it didn't. Uh, in April of uh, last year, uh, that 12-month uh, inflation number jumped up to 3.1, and then May was 3.5, June it was 3.6, July it was 3.6, August it was 3.6, September 3.7, October 4.2, November 4.7, December 4.9, January 5.2, February 5.3, and here we are in March, uh, 5.2%. So in order to get inflation under control, the Federal Reserve is basically going to have to uh, increase the uh, federal funds rate, and they, they talked about that in uh, December of last year, and they really uh, started to make their moves at the uh, meeting uh, of the Federal Open Market Committee meeting in, uh, uh, I think it was March 16th. So what they're going to do is increase the federal funds rate about uh, 2%, anywhere from maybe like 2 to 2.5% this year, and then they're going to bump it up another uh, 3%, and bump it up another 1% next year, so that at the end of 2023, uh, the Federal Reserve is forecasting that the uh, the overnight rate or the federal funds rate will be around three percent, and they'll do it in steps of one quarter of a uh, percent or one half a percent at each of the open market committee meetings. And the open market committee meetings meet every about every six weeks, and uh, they're also going to start selling bonds. Uh, from their Federal Reserve balance sheet, and they got approximately $9 trillion worth of bonds sitting there, and uh, selling these bonds, and, and the bonds are treasuries and mortgage-backed securities from Fannie and Freddie. They're going to draw money out of the economy, and this will, uh, you know, they'll announce it. They'll give us the straight scoop on that uh, uh, at the meeting next week. And... Uh, uh, one uh, one possible uh, cause for the uh, equity volatility over the past two weeks is basically been remarks by the, uh, Jerome Powell that the Federal Reserve uh, could start uh, front end loading it by front end loading it. They mean uh, we're going to have some serious increases in May, June, and July. But uh, let's let's uh, talk about. Let's talk about something other than <laughs> other than what the Federal Reserve is going to do and what that's going to do to our uh, uh, the equities. And uh, basically, uh, let's talk about what your financial, what you're doing in your financial plan. But let's uh, let's take a break uh, for station identification here. So, state, you can give us a call. 
over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. That's 1-888-281-1110. You give us a call. We can talk about your financial plan or what you think is happening out there. And uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Hi, this is Colleen, producer of Get Rich Slow. Each week we take calls from people just like you that have questions for our host, Jim McAleese. Oftentimes Jim can't answer the questions in depth because of time restraints or the need for more detailed information. That's why we encourage you to call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc., the financial counseling service founded by Jim and Tama McAleese. Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. has helped thousands of clients get more for their money. Whether your financial goal is to avoid common investing mistakes, buying your next home, planning for retirement, finding that right mutual fund, or covering your assets with the right kind of insurance, Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. will guide you to wise financial choices. So call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. for an appointment today at 440-647-2793. That number again, 440-647-2793. Now back to more Get Rich Slow. Welcome back to Get Rich Flow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. Yeah, one of the things we were talking about before was what's the Federal Reserve going to do and uh, what, they, what, they're, what they can do is they can cure inflation. We know that. Uh, they, did, they did that in the late 70s uh, when uh, Volcker increased the overnight rate by 20% and uh, basically shut the economy down in any recession. So uh, nobody expects that, but people are paying close attention to what the, uh, the Federal Reserve is, uh, intends to do. So uh, one of the things you're seeing, according to an article in Bloomberg, uh, uh, you know, the, the uh, uh, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell is likely to slow the pace of interest rate increases after this uh, front-loading policy with half a, half a percent increase hikes in uh, May and June. That's according to their people, their, their economists. They expect the Federal Open Market Committee meeting to raise the benchmarks by 50 basis points at the May 3rd, 4th meeting and to do, some, do the same in June. And uh, uh, then afterwards, they could talk about quarter percent increases for the rest of the year. And also, uh, they, they did a survey of the 48 economists uh, talked to them during April and uh, um, they forecast that the uh, Federal Reserve will lift the rates to a tar- uh, federal open market commit. The Federal um, Reserve rates, so the overnight rates, to a target range of two and a quarter to two and a half percent by December. And uh, um, the, what you're what you're seeing is there is a possibility of, of a recession. But it's only about thirty uh, percent, and uh, um, it's likely within the next two years. And I've heard stories about that before. And uh, in terms of uh, a possible reception in this in the second part of uh, 2023, not this year, but 2023. So uh, we'll see what happens. It's one of those things where. Uh, you have credible voices on both sides saying that uh, uh, be careful, and uh, I'm sure they will be careful. So, uh, but uh, to me, uh, when we talk about all this stuff, the most important thing that we as as uh, 
as uh, ordinary citizens have to deal with is uh, what about our financial plan? In other words, we're supposed to be uh, taking care of ourselves with regard to uh, uh, saving our money, investing it properly, uh, watching our uh, our expenditures. Uh, you know, you've got a a family to raise and, and uh, uh, a house to keep together, and uh, so what type of housing are you going to buy, and and what neighborhoods and uh, what are you going to do in terms of uh, uh, spending your money? Uh, it really takes a lot of effort uh, to get your uh, financial. It doesn't. It takes a lot of effort to stick with your financial plan, put it together, and stick with it. It says I'm going to take uh, so much from my income, uh, my paycheck, and uh, I'm going to put it into different. Uh, buckets, so to speak, and uh, one for retirement, one for uh, uh, the children's education, one for whatever you want in terms of a house or a boat or whatever, and uh, then I'm going to uh, plan for uh, this investment to increase in value at a certain point in the future, Uh, and we're going to use that money to, let's say, go for... uh, uh, retirement, where you have a certain amount of a nest egg, and uh, that plus the Social Security and the Medicare, and, and uh, um, perhaps working part time, uh, will get you to the point where you're you have a secure uh, retirement. So that's one of the things that we do as a client, and uh, and uh, even though. It might be difficult for an individual to do it for the first time. Uh, after you've done it, uh, after we've done it for you, uh, then it's kind of like following the roadmap. There may be changes in the roadmap as as time goes on, but at least you have a roadmap and you can assess, uh, do I really want to make this purchase, big purchase, and what am I going to give up to do that, and am I willing to do that? So. It's one of those things that you uh, you have a guide so that you're not uh, at wit's end all the time in terms of uh, what's happening to the money situation. So this is Jim Mackles. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. So uh, give us a call. Our toll number, our toll free number is one eight 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 two eight one eleven ten. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Rich Flow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAuley. Um, you know, hey, Jim. Uh, I yeah. hate to interrupt, but we have a great question from Jared this morning. Okay. All right. Jared says our 20-year-old term life insurance policy will end in a few months. And he wants to know what options do they have to look into before it wraps up. Okay. Okay. Uh, to me, uh, you always have to have life insurance, and what you do in, in terms of uh, life insurance is typically the the most economical life insurance is your term life insurance, and the term life insurance uh, pays off if you uh, you pass on, and uh, there's really no savings there. There's really no savings that are built up inside the policy, so. Uh, it provides a large uh, family protection uh, when you probably need it the most. For instance, when you're anywhere from you, when you start out on your own to, uh, uh, I would say probably to, to maybe like 60, uh, you can use the uh, term life insurance. 
and it typically comes in, you know, twenty-year periods, and uh, 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 where the coverage ends after uh, twenty years, and the uh, the amount of coverage you can buy is generally uh, fairly cheap, so you can buy a, a, a lot of it. Typically, uh, you know, people carry five hundred k or five hundred thousand dollars worth of term insurance, which uh, it happens to you. And, uh, uh, but as you get older, uh, your term policy, uh, you know, may begin to uh, expire and you find, uh, well, you might need more coverage. Uh, so at that particular point, uh, you might have to take a look at getting another uh, term policy. And, uh, and that's easy enough to do if you're in good health. And uh, uh, so if you're in good health, you, you just go through another physical exam and uh, uh, get another term policy. The term policy does have a drawback in terms of it's, it's not feasible in, uh, in, uh, as you get older. In other words, if you get up to uh, uh, 60 and 70 and 80 years old, the term life policies are no longer feasible because uh, their rates go up so high. You know, the concept of the term policy is that uh, uh, while you're younger, uh, let's say you're uh, 30 and you take out a uh, uh, 20-year term uh, policy, then uh, the premiums are fairly cheap and the... uh, because they're basically insurance companies taking a look at and saying, well, how many people are going to die between 30 and 50, and 50 years old? It's very few. Now, as you get into your senior years, into the uh, 60s and 70s, well, the number of deaths during that particular period goes up uh, over that span of time, goes up dramatically. So the premiums go up dramatically. At that point, uh, before you get to that point, you might want to take a look at the uh, uh, universal life uh, policies. And the universal life policies uh, are basically uh, are higher premium, uh, but they're built to last a longer time. And uh, uh, the ones that we prefer the most are the uh, ones where they don't uh, accumulate they accumulate very little savings inside. You know, we uh, they're purchased primarily for the uh, the insurance, and it's basically called guaranteed no lapse uh, universal life. Uh, and these policies uh, almost provide nothing in the way of cash value. But if you pass on, uh, they pay off. But they're more expensive than the term policies. So. Uh, when you're young, uh, get the term policies. I don't know how old you are, so uh, get the term policies. And then, uh, as you you know get into your 50s and 60s, then go take a look at the uh, universal life policies, or even beforehand. Uh, and uh, you know, this way, if uh, if you're uh, young and have uh, good health, then you can basically always replace your life insurance, but as you get older, it's much more difficult, even if you're in good health, uh, to get the life insurance because the life insurance company looks at it and says, well, uh, we're going to have to pay off on, on uh, uh, a, uh, a death in this case. So you have to take a look at it and uh, shop around, see, see what you can get. The universal, as you get older, the universal uh, life insurance uh, will get you to uh, to an older age than uh, the term policies will, and then you have to uh, you also have to look at it and say, okay, uh, the insurance premiums are going up, but uh, do I really need that? And that's a function of uh, when you were twenty or thirty and forty years old, you needed it because you had all sorts of liabilities, uh, but when you're up into your seventies and 60s and 70s, uh, your liabilities have greatly increased, uh, greatly decreased, I'm sorry, and uh, 
you don't need that much insurance and your assets have built up. So you're going to take a look at it and say, I don't need that anymore. So uh, it's a decision you make. I hope you hope that was helpful to you. But if not, give us a call. We'll talk face-to-face. Okay? This is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Flow. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Rich Flow. This is your host this morning, Jim Magaly. Uh Basically, when you look around at the economy, uh, what you're seeing is that uh, uh, the economy is uh, basically still very, very strong. And uh, uh, it's still generating a lot of jobs. It's still generating a lot of money for the people. And the, the problem is... Uh, uh, the inflation. So uh, when we take a look at uh, uh, one of our biggest assets, one of the biggest assets is our homes, and uh, our uh, uh, last week the National Association of Realtors reported that the existing single-family home sales decreased in March, and it was down 2.7% from February, and down 3.8% from the year earlier. And they showed that the existing home market is still strong. Uh, the mortgage uh, interest rates are rising sharply. The 30-year fixed rate with uh, 20% down, now up at about 5.4%. You know, a year ago, or maybe a little over a year ago, it was uh, uh, 3%. But the and the selection of available housing is still tight, uh, but uh, it's increasing slowly. Presently, uh, the supply of housing is only uh, uh, two months worth of housing supply at the current sales pace, and uh, also home prices continue to increase. And uh, nationally, the, uh, the median home price. Uh, was three hundred eighty-two thousand dollars, and that was up fifteen point two percent from March of two thousand and twenty-one. And in the Midwest, uh, the median home price was cheaper; it was two hundred seventy-one thousand, and that was up basically ten point four percent from March a year ago. So, one place that we look to get the home prices is the uh, uh, the Standard & Poor, CoreLogic, uh, Case-Shiller, uh, U.S. National Home Price Index. Uh, that gives us a more granular view of increases in existing homes in basically 20 cities around the United States. And Cleveland, Ohio is one of those cities. And what the Case-Shiller uh, uh, index, index does is uh, they accurately predict the price path of a typical single-family home located in each metropolitan area provided. And uh, the uh, uses of what they do is use a sales pair, quote, sales pairs method by comparing the, uh, the sales price of the house to the price of the same house when it was sold previously and includes adjustments for home improvement. And by tracking the amount required to buy the same house over time, it's a measure of home price inflation. So uh, their latest information comes from February, and for the Cleveland metropolitan area, existing single-family home prices increased uh, nine-tenths of a percent from January to February and increased 13.6% from February a year earlier. So that gives you to give you some context to be able to look and say, well, what does our area look like versus other areas? If you're looking at Chicago, uh, Chicago home prices increased uh, 
uh, 1.2% from uh, January to February and 13.1% from compared to February a year ago. Washington, D.C., uh, it, the increase was 1.7% uh, from June to February and 11.9% from uh, February a year ago. And Denver, um, Denver, the home prices increased 3.1% from January to February and 22.3% from uh, uh, February a year ago. So it's all very local in terms of uh, home price indices. If you went down to Miami or Phoenix, you'd see increases of maybe 30% per year in home prices. Uh, if you, uh, in our particular area, the Midwest, uh, it's lower and the houses are basically more affordable. So there's a lot of variability in prices in cities across the United States. So the, uh, the 20 cities, what the 20 cities that they track in this database, uh, they've increased, uh, 2.4% from January to February and 20.2% from February a year ago. And according to Craig Lazara, uh, the managing director of the Standard Poor Case Shiller, uh, the U.S. home prices continue to advance at a very rapid pace in February. Uh, quote, the, the 20-city composite, 20.2% uh, year-over-year change from uh, February a year ago was the third highest reading in 35 years of history, and that level of price growth suggests broad strength in the housing market, which is exactly what we continue to observe. All 20 cities saw double-digit price increases for the 12 months ending in, in February, and the price growth in all 20 cities accelerated relative the January's report. February's price increase ranked in the top uh, quartile of historic experience uh, for every city and in the top decile for 18 of them. So uh, basically the home prices are still up there uh, and still gaining. And there's, a, there's a, uh, again, that demand for uh, home prices. So uh, the... The, uh, another point of the, with regard to the economy is the durable goods orders. And basically what you're seeing is for March, the Department of Commerce puts out their uh, March report, and uh, it basically shows that the durable goods orders went up eight-tenths of a percent. And as for manu manufactured durable goods, increased uh, $2.3 billion dollars in March, or eight-tenths of 1% to $275 billion for March. And uh, uh, basically, it's, it's really a testimony to how the economy and, and manufacturing of durable goods is part of the economy has reacted to, uh, uh, you know, coming out of the COVID. Uh, for instance, what you'll see is that... Uh, uh, price increases per month uh, are uh, new orders up eight-tenths of one percent. Uh, primary metals like steel, one-and-a-half percent increases in one month. And if you go back over a 12-month period, uh, the orders have increased 17, or close to 18 percent. And you see in... Uh, uh, Fabricated metal products, eight-tenths of a percent in one month. Machinery, seven-tenths of a percent in one month. And then uh, if you look back over a 12-month period, they've gone up, uh, in case of uh, fabricated metal products, gone up close to 10%, and machinery is up close to uh, 12%. In uh, motor vehicles, uh, what you see is that in one month, the uh, price increase has gone up 5%, and, uh, and also uh, uh, 
over a 12-month period, they've gone up 5.6%. So apparently they just made a giant jump in one month. Uh, you know, so you're seeing what you're seeing is that the uh, big increases in the uh, durable goods uh, manufacturing orders. And uh, one of the things we see in, uh, uh, is borne out by the standard poor global uh, flash indices, too. So it shows that both the service industries and the manufacturing industries are growing in the United States, and uh, uh, they're running into the usual problems of uh, uh, supply chains and things of this nature and inflation, but, but, but they're powering their way through. So good news for the economy, and this is uh, Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. Uh, stay tuned. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. Tomorrow is the first day of May, and the month of May uh, brings beginnings full of hope in what is to come. And with that in mind, May you find happiness in every direction your path takes you. May you never lose your sense of wonder. May you hold on to the sense of humor that you use to brighten the lives of everyone who knows you. May you go beyond the ordinary steps and discover extraordinary results. May you never forget how wonderful you are. May you always be patient with the problems of life and know that any clouds will eventually give way to sunlight. May you be rewarded with friendship and get better and better with love that blesses your life forever. May you meet every challenge you are facing, faced with, recognize every golden opportunity, and be blessed with the knowledge that you have the ability to make every day special. May you have enough material wealth to meet your needs while never forgetting the real treasures of life are the loved ones and your friends. May you search for serenity and discover it within you all along. May you be strong enough to keep your hopes and dreams alive and may you always be gentle enough to understand. <clears throat> may you know that you hold tomorrow within your hands and that the way there will be shared with the making of what will be your most wonderful memories. And may you always remember each step along the way that you are loved more than words can ever begin to say. And until we meet again next week, more of Get Rich Slow, may God protect you and keep you safe. You have been listening to Get Rich Slow with host Jim McAleese. For an outline and registration form regarding the Money School series, call 440-647-2793. For a complete list of books written by Tama McAleese, call 440-647-2793. Or to make an appointment with Jim regarding your own personal financial issues, call 440-647-2793. Jim will be back with Get Rich Slow next Saturday morning on 1420 WHK with more common sense finance strategies for financial winners. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group, Inc., a member of FINRA and CIPIC. Cornerstone Consultant, Inc. is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group, Group. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.